Hi, and welcome to the Making Our Way podcast, where we take a deep dive into the projects and the creative process of our fellow makers. I'm Austin, and I'm excited to join you for this episode with my co-host, Christy, from Twisted Twine Woodworking, and Dean Duplantis. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Good seeing your smiling faces. Uh, Christy, I saw some stories you had on Instagram this weekend. You're working on some, some journaling. What's that about? Yeah, actually, um, my grandma, the last 35 years of her life, uh, she kept a daily journal. It was after my grandpa had passed away, and she kept all kinds of notes in there. Um, she had a farm. She was running a farm, as well as just life events. She would mention in her journals when she would go places, see people, um, stuff around the farm also, like move the cattle, that kind of thing. So she's got 35 years of these journals, and after she passed away and we were reading through them, it was just such an interesting perspective and so we decided that we wanted to go ahead and um, turn those into into a series of books for the family and um, so we're finally at the stage now where I'm doing the final edits and then um, then it won't be long before I'll be shipping them off to Amazon. I was going to ask about that I saw that you you're going to self-publish through Amazon what's that process like? Yeah, I was really unfamiliar with it until um, Marion from Creative Award Gallery and a couple of her friends, we were on a Zoom chat one time and I was asking them because they've dealt with self-publishing before. And it's actually a lot easier from what I can tell so far than I ever would have expected. I was really worried about the financial commitment, you know, having to order X number of books and just all that kind of thing, because we do actually want physical books but yeah, you upload through their uh, online app or online website. Into you know, have everything: the cover page, pictures, or however you want that. All of the journal or all of the book, and then set your price. And boom, anyone can go on and and order the book. And then they print to order as they're are they print him as they're ordered. You have a title picked out yet? We don't have anything creative yet. So far, it's Lucille Kerber's journal. <laughs> I mean, it's, we really, it, it's, yeah, we're, so far, that's all we have. So did she end up putting like personal things in there or was it kind of just a daily list or? There are some personal comments, which is why we don't want, I don't know that anyone necessarily outside the family would be interested in reading her day to day, but there were times where she had mentioned personal things. You know, like I mentioned, my grandfather had already passed away. Um, so over those years of the 35 years, she dated, um, and it it was, you know, just personal comments about the relationship, not extensive, but um, also about uh, life events for the family that you know, we're kind of private at times. So, um, so it was, the majority of it was very factual, but there are definitely some personal comments as well. Well, now we know why the milkman and the mailman kept getting in fights in front of the Twisted Twine farm. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty cool. It gives you a little insight and maybe a little bit more um, information about somebody that, you know, you didn't get to spend as much time as you wanted to with, uh, it's pretty cool to have a little insight into their life. Yeah, that it, it really has. And especially for like my kids, um, you know, that was their great grandmother. And 
they've learned a lot about even my life that they didn't realize or like I learned about my mom's life that I didn't realize. So it really has been a great opportunity to pretty much bring the entire family together as we've been working through these journals. So yeah, it's been pretty cool. So Austin, I see you're Mr. DIY at home lately. Yeah. So my wife decided that she wanted to remodel three of our bedrooms and uh, put new flooring in and all kinds of stuff. And I've reached the point where I realized I'm getting old because I would just wake up injured after (laughs) doing a little bit of flooring or something. And then I'm just so sore from getting up and down and it, uh, I'm like, I don't remember being like this. And she's like, yeah, that's because you're old now. I'm like, thanks. I love that. Appreciate it. But uh, yeah, it's going good. The new flooring now we're doing some laminate. It's so much better than it was like 15 years ago when I did the last house that we remodeled and it's, it goes much, much smoother. So not too bad. Dean, I saw you got a really cool project going on with some aluminum guide rods. What what do you got going on? Yeah. And it's so funny because that day, that was the day I went, got my first round of the COVID vaccines. And when I woke up, I was like, well, I don't know if these pains are vaccine related or if they're I'm old and overweight related, you know, it could have went either way. And it's probably the old and overweight (laughs) is what it was coming from. But so I came back from getting, I got my shot like at one. And my thought was, if I feel like crap, I'll just sleep the afternoon away and I don't have to work. So that's kind of why I planned it. I can do some work in the morning, get my shot, sleep the rest of the day. Well, I get home and I I felt fine. So I I did my afternoon meeting at two o'clock that ended about three. And I'm like, well, you know, let's see how much we can really push this vaccine until it just knocks you out. So I got up and I hooked up the paint gun and I sprayed some stuff and I have these two floating shelves. I talked about them the last time we met that have just been vexing me. And and what happens, I don't know if anybody else is like this, but I'll have a project and I know what I want to do, but the fear of it not working the way I think it's going to work prevents me from moving forward. And that these shelves were one of these things. The shelves were never in the original design of this bar I'm building, but the plywood from Home Depot had a buckle in it and I needed to support these big, tall, you know, eight foot runs of plywood with, with something. And so my idea was to put shelves on the inside of this buckle. So I just needed something to put pressure out and I didn't want to put screws through the side or anything like that. So I came up with the idea of, uh, I guess floating shelf is the right word or or just any, it's a hidden, um, hidden support shelf. What I took was some, I have three quarter inch plies. So I bought some three quarter inch aluminum square tubing from the box store. And these shelves are 12 inches deep. So I cut uh, four lengths, 11 and three quarters of that, that tubing. And then I measured, and of course, it's not consistent three quarter inch all the way down and neither is the plywood. So I, I notched out, but I, I made sure it fit. And basically how it works is the, the shelves are a sandwich of a three quarter inch piece of pecan a three quarter inch piece of ply and another piece of ply. And that middle piece is an inch short on both sides. And it makes this U-shaped groove that whenever I mount these aluminum rails, I can slide the shelf onto the rails. And the thought is one, it is going to give vertical support, but two, I think just the pressure of the plywood squeezing in and that friction is going to be enough to hold a substantial amount of weight. So I actually have, if you're familiar with Austin's videos, he made a center finding scribe with a pencil and a carbide tip he mailed that to me uh, for a generously low rate. I think he he only charged me two or three hundred dollars for it, and um, 
I used that to mark the aluminum. So I made sure I hit my marks in the middle and I was very cautious. Anytime you do something like this, I don't know about y'all, but where you have a left and a right or an A and a B or one and a two, you have to label everything. So I drew arrows like this is the front. This is the top. These are shelf one. These are shelf two. Uh, this is left. This is right. Drilled all my holes, uh, bored them out. I, the bolt is only on the inside, um, inside the tubing against the plywood. So I need to pass through the outside go into the tubing and then I did insert nuts, which nine out of 10 times I screw those up. Somehow I made this work. Uh, three insert nuts, three bolts on each rail. And uh, I put those in that night. So I got the shot at noon and I worked on that shelf till 1130 and was you know perfectly fine and felt really awesome finally seeing it on the wall. And I do have to say a big shout out to my wife because of course, like everything else, I measured at the base where the table was and that's how wide I need my shelves because I didn't want to incorporate the buckle in that with measurement. And so I go to put this shelf in and it's like an inch too long, maybe two inches too wide. And so she sat there and she yanked on one bookshelf and I yanked on the other until we forced it in. I'm sure she's used to seeing me do things like that, but we forced it in and made it happen. Um, and you, with you mentioning labeling everything, ABC, one, two, three. Uh, when I did that corner cabinet, I had to do that on every top, bottom, front, back, shelf one, shelf two. Yeah. Because otherwise God only knows what I would have had attached to where, and I would have just ended up mad and frustrated multiple times. You know, we talk about people that do videos, like Austin makes a lot of content. And one of the things that prevents me is I really have to focus. I mean, I feel like I'm smart and competent, but if I don't focus on what I'm doing, I'm liable to put, I use two different size insert nuts just because that's what I had. So on the outside ones, I use one side, the middle one, I use a different one. I easily could have put those in the wrong spot or drilled too far and I punched through the other side of the shelf or there's 20 different ways I could have messed that up if I was worried about a camera or this angle or how fat does my butt look on screen. So I had to, I really focus. So I have no footage of any part of this bookshelf build, which is way more impressive than a stamp, but I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to distract myself while I was doing that. Yeah, that's a shame that you didn't get any footage because I thought it was actually a pretty ingenious way of um, making that work. It's, it's basically like a like a slide in unit. Um, one thing that I've kind of used, I guess it's improper, but they uh, Harbor Freight sells these bed um, the pickup bed. Uh, like I think it's called a cargo carrier and basically it's it's a uh, ratchet strap in reverse right so it's a pole with a ratchet strap mechanism and you put it in the bed of your truck and you you, you ratchet it and it and it expands and so it's like you can put gas cans in the back of your pickup truck and trap them against the tailgate right that's what I use it for but I also found out that you can use it for a pretty decent amount of force to push two things like clamps are easy right you can squeeze things together well, it's hard to find something that you can push something apart. So I've actually ran in the back of my pickup truck, grabbed that and brought it in to push stuff apart that I'm trying to either weld together. That's a little too snug or, um, and it's super cheap. I think it was like 22 bucks or 25 bucks. So that's a, definitely a piece of kit that I think everybody should snag if you can, you know, swing by there. I had no idea that I've never seen that. So I'm going to check that out. Yeah. They're super, super handy. There's, there's, there's certain things at Harbor Freight, like I'm a tool guy, right? So I, I like my expensive stuff, but there's certain things at Harbor Freight that's like, it's so cheap. It works. It does the job when I need something very simple, you know, and uh, it, 
it just makes sense for the job. I'm I'm right there with you. I mean, I don't probably have the number of tools you have, but and I love Harbor Freight. I mean, I don't want to go and buy every time I need a nut or bolt. I'll go to Harbor Freight and I buy those little plastic bins and every, you know, oh, I need a 1024 Allen head bolt. Well, I've got a box from Harbor Freight with them in. And is everything perfect? No, you know, there's always little things. I was just working on that DeWalt planer and I needed to pull the drive wheel off because when I put the helix head in, I forgot a bushing. And that's why I was tearing belts. I'd complained about this planer to the group before. So I need to pull the drive belt off that I've been, you know, overheating and running in the wrong position. And Harbor Freight has these cheap pullers that I don't feel bad at all taking an angle grinder to and reshaping to get them the shape I need to grab that item and pull it out. So uh, I'm a big fan of Harbor Freight. I'm so glad there's one right down the street. It makes it easy to get to. Yeah, that's it's super nice to be able to, not be afraid to modify something, right? It's so cheap that you're like, eh, if I screw it up, it's, it's you know, it served its purpose for, even for a single job. So it's it's really nice for that. And um, there's certain ones of their tools, like their dust collector is actually pretty good. The two horsepower, the um, the angle, the die grinders, the angle, the right angle die grinders, they're really good. That's what I, I've, I used one of those, well, actually just one of them for 15 years when I was building surfboards for grinding the, uh, fiberglass lap on the boards. I bought my very first table saw from Harbor Freight. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that in hindsight, but I had no idea whether I was going to actually continue beyond building one um, hall table. So, you know, for a hundred bucks, I bought the table saw for like 20 bucks. I bought the drill. And then, you know, from there, I just upgraded, upgraded um, equipment as I needed to, but it was perfect to start. I'll put the U.S. general toolboxes up against anything sold at the box stores. Uh, Home Depot has brought in a heavier duty line lately, but bang for the buck, those toolboxes are amazing. I like getting the um, the wire wrap, the like heat shrink wrap. You can buy it in bulk from Harbor Freight. I buy a lot of the, the small stuff. And then if you want to just outfit, so I try to keep at least some basic screwdrivers, things like that in all my vehicles and in, in the house and in the kitchen. So I'll, you know, a screwdriver is a screwdriver. It does, you know, yeah, the craftsman one might be nicer or a, a Weera or something, but these get the point done. And so, yeah, little things like that. I don't know that I have any of their power tools, but not for any other reason than I just don't have any other power tools, but everything else, uh, definitely. And like you were saying, Austin, I like that you can, you don't feel bad about modifying them to fit your needs. I still have the drill um, that I bought originally a few years ago, and I only use it kind of as a backup. Like today, Marvin was working on a project and I was working on a project. So, you know, I went ahead and and just used um, the Harbor Freight one. The angle grinder works fairly well. The problem with that is underneath the the thumb switch, if you're doing some power carving where you've got a lot of dust and sawdust and everything coming on, it cakes up underneath there. So I just know that I need to every little bit stop, clean that out, and kind of go from there. And then since I'm only spending like 15 or 20 bucks a piece, I got like three or four of them. And then I never need to change, you know, change out the head because that kind of is a pain in the butt because I'm kind of lazy when it comes to that kind of stuff. Hey, looks like the guest showed up. How's it going? Oh, hey. Today we have Jay-Z and Daniel with us from Just Might DIY. Thanks for coming on guys. 
Thanks for having us. Pleasure to be here. We met you, or at least I know I did, uh, through the Makers on Zoom Having Coffee group, where we, you know, Discord and the Zoom meetings, which was really great. And I remember watching um, y'all's YouTube videos because we kind of stalk the new members, uh, which was, you know, it's kind of interesting. And I really appreciated particularly your cricket uh, videos because I've had a cricket for about a year and a half and I've totally not used it to its potential. Mm -hmm. um, so I really appreciated the creative projects that you guys came up with, particularly like that map on the side table. I was like, why wouldn't I have ever, I wouldn't have ever thought about that. Or even like the um, pineapple on the front of that dresser door. Mm -hmm. So I was just kind of curious, kind of take me through your process of coming up with these more creative, non-traditional, it's not just a sign, not just wording kind of projects with your mm -hmm. cricket. Yeah, it was really interesting about the cricket is that when I bought it, we kind of had this idea of what we were going to do with the very specific thing. It was going to be vinyl on signs, right? And then once you get it, you realize there is vast potential of it. And what <laughs> we've been most excited about with the tool is not the things that it can do in and of itself as a cricket, but how it can enhance our other more kind of traditional DIY projects. And like, I think the world map end table is a great example of that. Um, we had some in retrospect that if we had had it sooner, yeah. we actually, like when we were doing the, the keyboard wall up in the, in the office, Mm -hmm. the, some of the letters that were hard to find as per the hobby stores would have actually been able to be custom cut. Yeah. And then we wouldn't have had as many problems. <laughs> yeah. And it's really been very, um, you know, I love travel. We love travel. We've traveled a lot together. And I always wanted like a travel table, but I couldn't figure out how to do it because we don't have a CNC. We don't have a laser. We were not going to hand route a map into a piece of wood. And so when we got the cricket, suddenly it was like, oh, we can do the travel table. And that's kind of in the story of the cricket is how many projects we've been able to incorporate it into that we couldn't have otherwise. You guys have, have you used any other product or any other equipment like uh, the cricket in anything before, like with your jobs or anything like that? Or is it just kind of solely for the hobby that you guys have? No, that's a purely hobby based. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, like my occupation is just like, you know, I'm a massage therapist in the daytime. Mm -hmm. I'm a beekeeper in the, in my weekends. Mm -hmm. And she likes to sit at her computer and do conference calls all day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in communications. I do a lot of writing and stuff like that. So none of the stuff that we do, whether it's the tools, the cricket or anything, uh, has anything to do with our day jobs. Yeah, this is all extremely new to us. Like everything <laughs> we're doing is ad-libbed along the way. We just pick something up. Uh, she thinks about it and comes up with something totally. <laughs> uh, I know you can't see hand signals and audio. Crazy. <laughs> I come up with the crazy ideas. And then I'm the one who she forces to figure out how to make it. <laughs> and sometimes I add little ideas in there. Like when it came to pouring the ocean coffee table, you know, I was like, why don't we stick a couple of drawers underneath it? Because drawers are handy. And she's like, I like that. Mm -hmm. let's do it yeah <laughs> i'm like great let's figure out how to do that now <laughs> no it's uh it's interesting to hear that it's not a a big part of y'all because you've definitely jumped in with both feet when you look at the video for the the drawer dividers and the 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 thing that y'all made for the printer and all the stuff 
you have everything that Cricket makes. Like you have the entire product line, it almost looks like. I have one myself. I know what the vinyl and the infusible ink cost. And apparently you robbed a Hobby Lobby or a Marshalls one night because you have an abusive amount of Cricket products. So kudos to you and the next three years of Cricket videos you're going to be able to make <laughs> the stuff you have. Um, Most of it I caught on sale. I will say that. Um, I will vouch for that. I did see that there were some sales stickers on <laughs> um, as you were putting them in the drawers. So yeah, I, I will vouch for that. I, I wanted to stay on the, um, the cricket stuff before we move over to the uh, epoxy resin stuff. And I know y'all just got the new Tumblr press. And one of the things that was really inspiring to me was to see that you took this purpose-made piece of equipment and immediately tried to find other uses for it. And that's kind of the theme throughout a lot of your cricket stuff is you've not stuck to signs. You know, you've really tried to find other ways. So can you tell us about buying that piece of equipment? What prompted you to get that piece of equipment? And then how you pivoted from coffee cups into what you ended up doing? Absolutely. Yeah. So cricket just came out with the mug press. And when I saw it originally, um, I was like, well, we don't really drink coffee. I've never had coffee and Daniel just literally just gave up coffee. Um, so I was like, well, yeah, we don't really need to press mugs. But then I started watching more videos on it and seeing that you could potentially use other sublimation blanks in it. And that's what really said, okay, we really got to do this. So we took the time to pick up some miscellaneous tumblers and we, as you can see, like when we used it, we definitely screwed up a couple of them, like Royal, like we we're like, what is going on? Why is there smoke coming out of it right now? <laughs> and we actually went downstairs and brought the fire extinguisher upstairs just in case because it was like campfires. And I'm like, when are you using cardboard to start campfires? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's really, you said it's kind of the theme of our channel, and it really is because we like to come up with crazy ideas and then figure out how to make them happen. And I'm the crazy idea person. He is just such an ingenious person. He can figure out how to do so many things that, you know, there aren't other YouTube videos out there doing things like, like we have in some respects, like the bar cart that we made with the firewood rack, Right no one's trying to make a bar cart out of a firewood rack. So there really wasn't a reference for that one in particular. Um, and so it's really fun for just dreaming up an idea and then seeing, using his smarts and math skills to make it happen. You know, that's a curse that a lot of YouTube makers have with um, their channels. Cause I look through your videos and the projects that I actually enjoy the most have criminally few views compared to some <laughs> of the other ones that have really taken off. And you go, you know, is it searching? Is it trigger words? Or is it that no one else out there is Googling firewood bar cart? You know, are you a, a victim of your own creativity almost? But, you know, while we're talking about creativity, I, I've seen quite a few things that have kind of like a nautical theme to them. I know y'all did the porthole table. I know y'all have done some patio stuff. I know y'all have that swimming pool that you really love. Um, we did want to talk about one of your more successful videos that has 12,000 views. It's this resin, resin ocean pour which I do know the ocean resin pours kind of took off about a year ago. And mm. it seems like y'all were right at the front of that and no pun intended caught that wave. So why don't you talk <laughs> about what, um, you know, why, why the beach scene, 
you know, why not any other form of resin pour? Why the beach scene? And then maybe I know y'all had some issues with that one. Maybe talk about some of the troubleshooting and, and work on that. Absolutely. So I am a beach person. That is my happy place. We say I'm beach, he's mountains. Um, but you know, we, we have done quite a few beach trips and I broke the last coffee table. It was a glass table. I was making some curtains and ironing on it. Pro tip, do not iron on glass. You will break it. <laughs> and so we, we needed a coffee table and I was just searching beach coffee table is just something because we do like nautical. You guys can't see it, but there's a giant ship chandelier in here. Um, it's just my happy place. And so when I started Googling it, that's when I started coming across these ocean resins, resin oceans, you know, whichever order you put the words in. And I was like, this is so cool. I'd worked with resin once before and it went terrible. It was, it was bad. But in my head, I say, how hard can it be? And so. So we began putting together some sort of scheme and then we had a whole bunch of spare pieces of wood and we practiced for months. Mm -hmm. I really appreciated that. Um, when you showed that in the video, it's like, mm -hmm. here's a test piece and a test piece and a test piece. <laughs> and I think a lot of us makers were like, oh, it, like you said, it can't be that hard. I should be able to do it. No problem. So when you guys showed your test pieces, I was like, yes, these people yeah. are much smarter than me because I probably would have been like, uh, I'll get it right. And if not, I'll sand it off and go again. So I really appreciate it. Now, do you guys have those like little tile test pieces like stuck all over your wall house? Or please tell me you don't have them like thrown away or in a box hidden away. The really bad ones, because there was a lot of fails, a lot of fails in the beginning. The really bad ones we did end up chunking. The ones that are like, oh, we like the front wave, but the back wave is terrible. We we did keep some of those just as reference, but um, those definitely didn't go up in the house. There was a lot of learning. <laughs> One or two of them might have ended up going to family as well. Mm -hmm. You know, that you can finish them again and then, you know, send them off to her mom. She loved that kind of stuff. <laughs> I was thinking they would look nice kind of, you know, as a four piece set on the wall, decorative, you know, in a bathroom, you know what I mean? Just kind of something yeah. along that line. Cause the, they were really good. I tried, um, well, I've done a few, just a few epoxy projects and uh, Jess Crow was at maker's camp a couple years ago or a year and a half ago when I was there and she makes it look so easy and I mean, cause I, you know, we're watching right there and she's showing us and we're kind of doing it. And I'm just like, mine looks ridiculous, but hers looks so beautiful. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys did a really, really nice job on that. Yeah. I was Thank super you. impressed too. What maybe you guys could share some of the tips and tricks you learned from the ones that didn't work and then kind of give us like, here's the lowdown. What, you know, like don't do this, do this. Uh, a lot of it is timing. That was the biggest thing that we had to figure out on all of it was, you know, at first we're trying timing on these tiny things and we're like trying to pour one wave at a time and then finding the right temperature settings on your blower and then trying to mix just the right amount of white into the front wave. Mm -hmm. And if it got too much, like, how do you move it? How do you, can you recover from it? Some of those projects were like, can you recover from a mistake in a pour? And most of the time the answer is no, no, you can't. <laughs> the, uh, the, 
you know, I, we weren't able to show this in the video. It would have been way, way too long. But the, the end product was our second large ocean pour, not our first one. Mm -hmm. And so we actually have this entire like coffee table messed up resin pour in the garage, <laughs> leaning up against the wall, waiting for it to get cleaned down into something mm -hmm. moderately usable again. But we, you know, we didn't have the experience. We, we started off with these smaller mm -hmm. pieces and then we all of a sudden went to this thing that's yeah. like four feet wide and a foot and a half deep. Mm -hmm. And we didn't do it right the first time. No. <laughs> it just... Yeah. We just got the timing wrong and. And you can't, you really can't save an ocean resin once you've messed it up. Um, and it's one of those, the more you try to fix it, the worse it ends up looking. And at some point we just have to look at each other and say, this one's gone. We're going to have to start over. And what I would say for tips on doing this is pick one resin and stick with it and understand how different pigments work. There are powder pigments there are alcohol inks. You can put even kind of like acrylic paints, whatever, you know, there's a million ways you can tint your resin, but pick one, practice with it, understand how it works and know that a different brand or a different type is going to react differently. And so we did use the same resin, the same pigments throughout most of it, but a turning point for us in the waves was actually finding the right white pigment. And I will shout it out. There's a, uh, Someone on Instagram, she has an art shop, it's called Mermaid Trash, and she makes the best white pigment. It laces so well, you really do get that lacy wave look that you're going for with it. I noticed in a lot of your resin videos, y'all mention, and this is the resin we're using. Is it because of the experience on that first one that you wanna, you don't wanna mislead anybody that you might've seen our process, but this is because this is the resin we're using? Yeah, absolutely. Because different resins have different working times. They have different depths you can pour them at. They have, everything is different about them. They have different pour ratios. Some of them are two to one, some of them are one to one. And so it's very important to know what your resin is and how to work with it. Some of them also have different like UV resistances. So you can avoid the yellowing of it. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the one we use was you know, based on a, a boat resin, which is mm -hmm. meant to be out in the sun. So we, mm -hmm. and it has an extreme hardness to it. So we knew that we could put plates and silverware. We could use a coffee table as it was intended to eat dinner. Every night. <laughs> <laughs> so when you guys were working on it, I noticed you did multiple colors to kind of give you the gradient fade of, you know, water getting deeper. Um, one question I had is, did you kick off all of those resins at the same, each bucket at the same time, or did you stage them? We definitely staged them. Um, with the time that it took to pour the table, you can't get through one set of waves without this, you know, if you, if you had poured the second set at the same time, it would have started kicking before you're done setting your first wave. You, you, mm -hmm. It just wouldn't have been feasible. And especially with the larger quantities, and this is very important, the more resin you have in a container, the faster it kicks. It gets hotter faster and starts curing faster. And so when we did this big table, we had to mix the resin for the shoreline. I was pouring that down while he was mixing the next batch for the first wave and all that. So, I mean, it is the, the deeper your, your buckets that you're working from, the faster it will kick. That's actually a great tip. So I built surfboards professionally for like 16 years 
And that is the absolute number one mistake that people make when they try to make a surfboard at home by themselves. Mm -hmm. They dump a little bit of resin out of the bucket after they've mixed it and they keep that bucket in their hand walking around. And the, the first thing you should do is dump the majority of that resin out of the bucket because you have this mass uh, of resin that's exotherming. It's yeah. uh, the chemical reaction is causing extra heat, building up that intensity in your hand. So I actually watched a guy do it one time where he was working the board so much with a little bit of resin at a time. I look up and the bucket is smoking in his hand. I'm like, dude, what are you, you're going to burn this place down. You got to get that stuff out of the bucket, man. And uh, so that's a great tip. Great tip. Yeah. Something else y'all did that I was surprised. It was, it appeared that this was one of your first resin projects, but something you, I noticed through all of your projects is you were aware of the base coat that you needed to protect the oxygen from coming out of the wood, causing bubbles in the resin. And that's a mistake a lot of people unfamiliar with resin. They're so quick to, I want to get this you know, void filled that they don't take the time to seal the wood. And I, when I saw y'all do that, I was like, oh, wow, that was, you know, they're really on top of it, not only with the paint to where you kind of had your guide, and then you still came back and you did that lock-in coat. That was um, definitely a pro tip right there. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's something we forgot to mention. But yeah, great, great tip on that. You know, working with resin, if you're new to it, do a lot of reading, watch a lot of YouTube videos, read the manufacturer's website for the one that you have, read the Amazon reviews if you're buying it on Amazon or if it's available on Amazon. Like, there's a lot of communal knowledge out there that can save you from a lot of mistakes, but you're still probably going to make mistakes the first few times you pour it. (laughs) And that was one of the lessons that we did pick up on by doing all of those tiny resin pours, Mm -hmm. because we had sections of it that we didn't paint at first. Like when we were first trying sand on one side of it, we didn't paint it. We just wanted to see what wood grain plus sand looked like. Mm -hmm. And while it looked neat, the the bubbles that came out because, you know, the gases expand with heat, so they rise. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, okay, we can't do that. <laughs> yeah. One thing I, I, like I said, I've only done a couple of resin projects. The one thing I did learn, um, I was using uh, wood that we milled ourselves. So even though it had set in my shop for six months or probably nine months by then, it was still too moist. And I know, mm-hmm. like, if you're buying, if you're buying lumber from the from the store, it's not necessarily going to be the case. But I was having a lot of problems with bubbles and just mm-hmm. it not curing properly because mm-hmm. it was there was just too much moisture. So I think yeah. even for um, you got to be cautious of what the weather is doing mm-hmm. yes. um, when you're dealing with it, besides the actual moisture mm-hmm. level of the wood that you're working with. Absolutely. And I'll point out, you'll notice that we do all of our resin pours inside because that's temperature controlled. It is a lot dusty or in the shop, which is bad for resin. But in here, we're always, we're just in a temperature controlled environment. Resin is the most finicky material I think we've worked with. I want to publicly shame y'all. You know, you have this bad (laughs) habit of talking about all your mistakes, mistakes, mistakes. And what I actually see, (laughs) I see two makers that do a lot of experimenting, proof of concept. You do a lot of, you know, data finding and you really set yourself up for a much greater success later on. Uh, I had spoken to Jay-Z before this and and said this last video, y'all phrase it as five mistakes. But what I saw were people who were educated on a preferred method to do something because they had put the time in 
to learn from that experience. And if anybody's listening to this, thinks that you make these, y'all have a ton of videos for only having a channel for about a year. And if you think they mm -hmm. made all this stuff first crack, I seriously doubt it. <laughs> and so, and, and that's for anybody, you know, if you want to have a quality product, at least where you can put a video out like this, you need to get off, get off of YouTube a little bit and get your hands dirty and put proof of concept mm -hmm. out there. And so there was a project that y'all have gone to twice, the plywood herringbone style that you've, you've done for the dog accessories. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you want to, you know, lush on your Yorkie for a little bit, we'll, we'll tolerate that. And then I'd like to hear more about the process that went into figuring out the best way to do these plywood patterns. Cause they're really neat. Again, we research is the start of everything. Like we go online we search YouTube, we find whoever is already starting to work with some plywood patterning things. And then we just consider how they did it. And we, we create easy mechanisms so that we can tear down the plywood into the, the, the strips that we're looking for so we can get the right thickness, the right overlay, a little bit of like math, you know, I'm a very math oriented person. So figuring out a mathematical overlay in order to solve a lot of problems mm -hmm. right off the bat. And then some of it is just tedious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting that you, that you point them out because one, one is technically a herringbone and one is the, the chevron. chevrons. And so we did do a little bit different, but because they're actually five feet from each other, we try to make them coordinate. We use the same colors and everything like that, but it really is, it's an experiment, right? And we just, Daniel is the figure it out person between us. Again, I'm the wacky idea person. He's the figure it out. He does the math and really figuring out what adhesives do we use? How can this be strong enough for us to actually put it under a saw to trim out the edges and all that? I mean, and there is quite a bit of experimentation. And the reason we show that in our channel is because we don't want people to think that you just go into the shop and you get it perfect. And if you don't do it right the first time, then you're not a good maker. Like, we have made some things that we think are pretty cool that we love to look at in the house, but it was always a process and we're not afraid to say mm, we're not experts, but we made a mistake and we moved on and we figured it out and this is how it actually works. I'm so jealous of the people. I see people all the time that put something out there and it's got blemishes and all. And it's like, how are you able to just move on and not, you know, just obsess over it until I get on a big project. And I'm like, screw it. That's good enough. You know, we're moving forward. If we don't move forward, this will never get done. Um, and we'll just use the cricket to cover it so up. Back on the cricket. I actually had a cricket question to ask. So that pineapple that Christy mentioned earlier that you did the, it was like a raised paint uh, type thing. So mm -hmm. you made a stencil and you put the stencil yes. down and then you modge podge the stencil. What was the, what was mm -hmm. the purpose of the modge podge on top of the stencil before you paint it, and how did that not affect when you peeled the stencil back off? So it all comes down to timing on that. Um, the purpose of a mod of Mod Podge over a stencil is to seal the stencil. One thing that you will learn the first time you try to do a sticky stencil or any kind of stencil on wood is that unless your wood is totally flat, 100% flat, you have sanded it up to 500 paint is going to seep underneath that stencil. And so the purpose of the Mod Podge is to seal the stencil. So then when you paint over it, it doesn't, like you get those clean lines and stuff. And you only leave the Mod Podge on for like 20 or 30 minutes and then the paint goes on and you'll notice I actually pull the stencil while the paint is still wet. And it worked out perfectly and I was really happy to see that. Um, but 
you have to seal a stencil if you're painting on wood. So I had a question about the um, custom doormat y'all made. I want to know how many different <laughs> phrases did y'all come up with before you settled on, don't just stand there, bust a move. I, I, well, I'm trying to think. So there was only other, there was one other that I was actively designing, right? And it was, please don't step on the guard dog because we have Rody and he's, you know, eight pounds. He's really tiny. Um, but like, I thought that was funny. But then when I, I, th I, I saw that somewhere and I was like, that is hilarious. And I've actually had people bust a move uh, when they have come to the door. So I'm really excited about that. I was interested where you came up with the idea for flex seal. As soon as I saw that, I was like, Oh, that's genius. Cause it's kind of like a rubberized coating. Mm -hmm. The cricket groups. Um, but we're, I'm a member of a couple of uh, cricket groups on Facebook and that someone had suggested flex seal. And I said, ah, wow, that makes a lot of sense. And it still looks good as new, I think. Yeah. Yeah. We got to dry it out in the rain once in a while, but mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's crisp, it's clear. It never breaks mm -mm. solid. Yeah. I just want to mention that I appreciate your use of IKEA uh, drawers and stuff <laughs> like that because you know I, f I feel like that gave me permission to accept the fact that I don't have to make a hundred percent of every project that I actually do because some things are a pain in the tail or some yes. things you just don't have time for um so I really appreciated seeing that in a couple of your in a couple of your projects and and actually I didn't even realize that you could like buy the drawers and now I'm like oh my gosh I need to go into an IKEA I've never been but now I think I might need to Oh yeah. So, Ikea drawers is obviously what we use to make the, the hidden drawers on the coffee table. Mm -hmm. And we realized like when we bought the, the complement drawers that they like, we loved making that how to assemble a complement drawer <laughs> video just because following their instructions was comical of itself. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's just, it became easy. You just do a couple of solid mm -hmm. measurements and they're well enough to hold her as, how did Dean say it? Uh, her obscene <laughs> project material. When you talk about a woman's weight, it can get obscene quickly. So I'm glad you, you got out of that one safely. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure y'all, one of these projects in that vein, in that printer center, didn't y'all find that you could buy drawers at Ikea just to use for the hardware? That it was more economical to buy the whole thing to use the Ikea hardware. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, so basically the the slides are soft close slides and I think they're 24, 22 to 24 inches deep, somewhere like that. So like a 24 inch soft close um, slides are, you know, in the high 20s or so. And the drawers, depending on which size, like the printer cart's a little thinner than the Cricut cart is. Um, but those drawers are somewhere probably between like 28 and 35, 37, somewhere in there. Right. So it was cheaper to buy the drawers from Ikea. It was faster to buy the drawers from Ikea. And that enabled us to get more done in a short amount of time. I mean, since we talked in the beginning, this isn't our full-time job, right? So we have limited time in the shop and that was something that we thought we could use. It would look good. It was cost efficient and it would help us get more projects done faster. And the side benefit is you get to get those meatballs, you know, while you, while you go pick it up. <laughs> Speaking of balls, I wanted to ask uh, oh. Daniel about his festive balls. And um, 
I thought yeah. that was yeah. What well, do you like to know about that? <laughs> I like the uh, the glittery aspect to them. You know the way that you uh, worked with them in the video. Maybe you could talk about one of those projects. I mean, making the balls was awesome. You know, it was a simple project. Um, you know, but I just I just like to leave little gems throughout the videos that you know sometimes they slide right on by somebody. And she just doesn't even know that they're going on. I mean, she can edit the whole video and just all of a sudden be sidewinded by like a, he did what? Yeah. <laughs> and that's what happened with that one. So that's on our uh, Cricut Glitter Ornaments video. I catch most of his annex, like when he's putting wood in places he shouldn't be putting wood and all this kind of stuff. I catch most of those in the editing. So we do try to be family friendly. But that one, it was published. It had been out there for a few days. And it was actually someone in the Discord group uh, mentioned Daniel fondling balls at the end of the video. And I literally had to leave the Discord, yes. go to yes. our YouTube channel, and say, what is she talking about? And I mean, we, I laughed till I cried. I'm pretty sure he <laughs> laughed. Like, he is, he's crying right now. He's laughing so hard because I had no idea it was there. So then my other question is, you know, whenever I'm filming anything as rare as that is, one of my biggest wishes is for a cameraman. Like I wish I had a second person there for some of these shots, but I noticed y'all still do a lot of static shots with both of you in it. Is there a reason behind mm -hmm. like that y'all want to show each other on the camera and y'all don't have any more motion shots or is that just the style that works best for you? Sometimes we're working separately, right? So, and we, we have gotten that comment before. It's like, you guys do a lot of tripod shots for having an extra set of hands. Well, sometimes it does take two sets of hands and it's just easier so we don't have to go get clamps that can be holding down something while he's uh, doing whatever. But sometimes because we have such limited time to work on things, sometimes he'll be in the driveway on a tripod. I'll be in the shop on a tripod and we just kind of roll with it like we really do have to make the most of the time that we have to work together and sometimes that that, that does equate to more tripod based shots and it's difficult to have uh, our interactions with each other mm -hmm. without having something on a tripod because we set it up and then we run over into scene and just try and you know put together whatever whatever mm -hmm we put together really. <laughs> no, and that makes perfect sense because that's one of my biggest issues with any recording is I want to focus on the work. And I, I do, mm -hmm. you know, when I watch the video, there's a great appreciation for you two are really doing the work together. I mean, this is not one of you building and one of you's the face or anything like that. I mean, it is a true partnership when y'all are in here on those projects and that's pretty commendable and great to watch. Yeah, of course. Well, it's great having you guys on is uh, where's the best place for us to find you? So you can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash justmightdiy, Instagram at justmightdiy. And if you're the Pinterest type, we're justmightdiy on there as well. Um, and then, of course, we have our blog, which is justmightdiy.com. I love it. I love it. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for, having, for us. having us. As we move into the next segment, why don't we keep the guests with us? Because I'd like to discuss something that's important to me, and that's shop safety and particularly respiratory protection in the shop. I know several of us do woodworking where there's a lot of wood dust generated. We do epoxy projects, which epoxies off-gas fumes as well. And respiratory protection in the shop is very important. So I thought we'd kind of just kick it around one another and discuss what are we doing to protect ourselves in the shop? What are we doing to protect our lungs and making sure that we're here to continue to do our projects and hobbies into the future?
So the main thing for me um, is that I I wear uh, 1095 dust mask when I'm doing any kind of wood turning or woodworking stuff like that. Um, if I'm using any kind of resins, I use the charcoal active charcoal filter respirators. Um, they tend to be, the, I think, the best for the money uh, as far as like you know the the best for the buy that you can get. Um, and the main thing that I know is if you can keep them kind of wrapped up, not like out right after you use it, you have to let them dry from your, your breathing and stuff like that. But it, uh, it'll take, tend to let the charcoal stay um, kind of just last longer. And um, also you should never hang them by the straps or by the actual face mask part because that uh, weakens them every time. Austin, I was curious with the uh, coronavirus stuff, did that impact your, you know, you, your ability to find these types of masks? Yes, yeah, it did. Luckily, I uh, I tend to buy in bulk, so I'm down to like my last two right now. So I made it a year with <laughs> with with what I had in stock. So I'm actually contemplating like, what's my next move? You know, what's the next one for me to go to? Because right now they're holding all the 1095s for medical personnel and things like that. So um, if you guys have any thoughts, I'd love to hear it, Dean. One thing that you mentioned that's really interesting, Austin, is that, you know, people think, oh, I need to wear a mask when I'm working with wood, I'm sanding, I'm doing something like that. But you mentioned resin as well, which resin is really popular in the crafting circles, not always into like the woodworking and stuff. And there's actually a lot of, you know, potential respiratory damage that can happen if you're working with resin in a closed room. So that ventilation and those masks and the right mask, like you said, are very important, uh, you know, when you're working with things like resin as well. Last Christmas, I bought my mom a half face P100 respirator for her to wear when she was doing mm -hmm. resin work or she does stained glass. And so she does like leaded joints. And so I bought mm -hmm. her a mask and spare filters Christmas mm -hmm. 2019. And so she thought she was a boss whenever everybody's rolling out and she's walking out like Bane with this, you know, half face respirator with these <laughs> P100 uh, deals on. It. And I had to tell her, look, if you're going to wear that for safety, you need to not wear it all the time because, you know, they will start yeah. to fatigue. But uh, we were really lucky to get that. But that was exactly why, because you, everybody thinks mm -hmm. that the resin is it's not harmful. But the reality is it is yeah. off gassing and, and it is. I, it's so funny to me that, that I had I had a guy that compared epoxy to, he's like, oh, it's safe as peanut butter, right? Compared to polyester resin. And I said, it's funny you say that because uh, the people who are allergic to epoxy are deathly allergic to it, just like peanut butter. <laughs> so uh, yeah. we, in my surfboard factory, there was a big switch where everybody switched over to epoxy uh, because of the blank shortage in um, 2005. And when that happened, we were using acetone for all of our cleanup because that's what you use a polyester resin. So, and uh, it's not obviously not the best case scenario, but we're using it like a bath, right? We're cleaning our arms, everything that we touched all day from glass and boards. Well, acetone is a carrier. So what it does is it puts epoxy straight into your bloodstream. So everybody in my factory became like incredibly ill because we all had epoxy poisoning. So uh, one good safety tip, don't use acetone if you're using epoxy. You know, we were so naive back then. We didn't know. I was 20 at the time, right? So I didn't know anything different. We we're like, wow, this acetone really cleans the epoxy off my arms well. Yeah, well, it's going straight in. And then, Christy, you know, everybody might not know this, but you actually inspired the safety man here to up his respiratory game 
because I bought the same respirator that you have for woodworking. So why don't you tell everybody, you know, what you have and, and why did you get it and what do you think about it? I started out with um, trying out the 3M regular masks and the RZ masks and and the RZ didn't quite fit right for me. The 3M mask was doing okay, but I was becoming to have a lot of sinus issues and it was about a little over a year ago. And even though I was always wearing my mask and everything, it was becoming a daily, a real, real issue. And I had seen Paul Jackman wearing um, the peak safety helmet with the uh, filters on the top where it blows the, the fresh air or the filtered air through the front of um, front of the helmet. And then it blows the air through the bottom. And, and I had looked at them um, and I was like, oh gosh, it's kind of, they're kind of pricey. They are pricey. I mean, they, they are pricey, but as I continue to be having problems with my sinuses and I'm like, this is a piece of equipment for my shop and for my safety, because if I physically can't work out here, then it doesn't matter what equipment I have. So I went ahead with the investment in that helmet, the um, respirator helmet, and it was a game changer. Um, the one thing besides the fact that it did a great job of, of ventilating the air that was coming through, I didn't realize how uh, self-conscious I was about flying debris or whatever, you know what I mean? Or the potential for if I'm turning something and a chip coming off or, or you know, something coming off the table saw or any of the saws. So it really served an extra function that I didn't even think about as far as something like you know, flinging at me while I'm, while I'm working on things. Yeah. And, and you know, it's funny. I had the same journey, Christy. And so the difference was I always had a beard. I normally have a beard and I have the RZ mask and then I'm in Texas and I just sweat so much that these masks would just stink. And so it was a fine line between stinking myself out or, you know, did I get it washed? Am I changing out the filters quick enough? And it, it was just a laborious process. And so I saw you wearing that mask and what it is, it's called the power cap and it's made by a peak safety and it's a positive pressure respirator. So what that means to someone with a beard is this is a mask that there's more pressure on the inside than on the outside. So you don't have to worry about vapors coming into the mask because air is blowing out of the mask. So that's how it's protecting you. It's a positive pressure respirator. On top of that, it has a full face shield. So picture a full, you know, polycarbonate face shield and then it's got two filters on top and a fan that's sucking air through those filters down across your face and out the bottom. And I'm going to tell you what else it's refreshing. It's really refreshing just to have this fan blowing air across. Now it's not refreshing to hear this fan go the whole time you're wearing it. But uh, I really, really like this piece of equipment and uh, it was, it was expensive, but uh, Christy reminded me that Jackman had a discount code. And so I went and got that and I bought a few extra filters and I just vacuumed the filters externally every now and then to keep them clean but um it's a positive pressure air respirator and, and let me see if i can get a price on it um it, it's battery powered so you charge the battery it's 500 dollars um and i know i'm like oh my goodness 500 dollars that's this tool or that tool or i could do this or i could do that but what you also can do is breathe and if this is going to make sure that i wear it every time it protects my eyes which I don't, I'm pretty sure you can't go to the doctor and get new eyes if you get a piece of debris in those. Um, I don't know what sinus 
surgery costs. Christy can tell us, but I'm willing to bet it's more Absolutely. than $500. <laughs> um, and it, it's just a great piece of equipment. So if, if you're out there, you know, counting your pennies or dimes, I, I get it, but I would buy this 10 out of 10 times before I bought another DeWalt tool yeah, or whatever and, it is. Uh, Marvin uses it as well as I do whenever we're working, depending on what projects we're working on. And he has glasses. So for him, it, if he's wearing um, any of the other traditional just around his face or around his nose and mouth, he's fogging up his glasses. He's having other problems, um, you know, just just along that line. So it is it is universal for both of us, regardless of, um, you know, my head's a little smaller. It still fits me great. There's an adjustable strap in the back. Um, so, yeah, it's been a fantastic investment. And you bring up another good point. You know, if you're a glasses wearer and you have prescription glasses and you're having to make the decision between your prescription glasses being your safety glasses or wearing a $3 piece of glass or you have contacts in and you're worried about dust getting your eyes and things like that, look at those full face shields. You can get them for 25 bucks or so that you put on and they offer superior protection. Um, and what this is, this is a, a step above. And so if you are a wood turner and you wear eyeglasses, you can still wear this. You can see your face is protected, your lungs are protected, and it's a pretty good piece of equipment. Jay Z, do y'all either one of y'all wear glasses or have contacts? I do, but I actually never wear them when we're working. So he's the precision guy. So I haven't really had the need for the glasses, and I just don't want to get the dust in them. When I wear the mask, they do fog up. So that's a really great point. We probably should look at the full. Um, face masks and stuff. I rarely wear my glasses in the shop. I will wear the, just like you said, $3, $10 safety glasses. And you'd mentioned your mask before. Are y'all a paper mask people? Or are y'all razor mask people? Where are y'all at on the mask? We started, like I started using a lot of masks <clears throat> when the COVID thing came around and there was a lot of masks where I work <laughs> and I kind of borrowed a couple of yeah. those and that's kind of become my permanent dust mask. And so by yeah. that, you mean you're wearing your beekeeper hood? in the workshop is that <laughs> good <laughs> that wouldn't help so much because oh, i was only having a generic screen yeah, but it would yeah. help with uh debris at least it would offer one level of protection but not respiratory protection which is what we're talking about tonight i wear glasses too like yeah. i'll put on like a, a pair of safety glasses yeah. but so you know the eyes are covered the mouth is covered just don't have a you know a solid like one piece negative yeah. positive pressure face shield fancy mm -hmm. 500 dollars thing yeah. But, you know, go sell a few of those scrap beach scene things that y'all threw away or go take that table that's in the <laughs> shed collecting dust, cut it into eight pieces, sell them for seventy five dollars a piece. You got yourself a mask. Come on now. Let's let's make it happen. OK, I, I will say I have a I do have a respirator. I have a P100 respirator, actually. So it may be close to um, Austin. Was it you saying that your mom had one of those? Dean, Dean, sorry, Dean, yeah. So I do have one of those because I do a lot of the spray painting and that kind of thing. And so, you know, we have just regular dust masks. We have the paper ones in the shop. We have cloth ones in the shop, but I also have that P100 respirator that I use when I'm using the like super dangerous kind of chemicals and stuff in there. And most of the woodworking we do, we actually take outside into the driveway. So we have like a lot of open airspace and I'm still trying to cover my face and keep the dust off of me. Most so of when, the time. when we're in safety, what we talk about, there's a pyramid of, of how you can, protect yourself and you start with 
you know, eliminating the hazard. And PPE is actually your last line of defense. So that's what you just said is an excellent suggestion to anybody. If you are in a dusty environment or you're cutting MDF or something like that, and you can take it outside, that's a much more preferred because not only are you, you know, you're cutting the board there, but there's also dust particles hanging in the air. And now you're letting them hang outside and not inside where you're working. So that's a great way. It's that's an engineered solution to deal with the problem is you've taken taking the dust outside and you're, you're not having to worry about it impacting you. We did something right. <laughs> I love the high fives in the videos too. You'll do all those. <laughs> I would say, you know, definitely think about all the different chemicals that you're using when you're DIYing, even if you're not into woodworking, if you're doing spray paint, if you do a doormat and you're using flex seal, flex seal has a strong odor to it that lingers, right? definitely make sure you're in the ventilation and definitely make sure that you're protecting your respiratory because one time after I did some spray painting, it was just a quick second coat. I didn't put the mask on. I was blowing my nose and black flecks were coming out my nose for the next day. So don't skimp on. I did the, the same protection. thing. I spray painted a, a, a car, uh, a power wheel car. I had sanded one down and I spray painted it outside and I blew blue blue boogers for three weeks after that. And I thought I was fine. I was yeah. outside. You know, what's the big deal? But I mean, you're breathing that in the whole time. Um, and you bring up a really good point, too, on chemicals and chemical reactions and how chemicals interact with one another. I remember seeing uh, there was a Buffalo Wild Wings, I believe it was. They had to shut down the restaurant because a guy's cleaning and he throws bleach down and he throws another cleaner. I think it was in Georgia, actually. He throws you know these two incompatible <laughs> cleaners down. And he basically chlorine bombs himself like it's world war one he falls out another guy falls out they had to close the restaurant drag these people out so always be um you know understand how different chemicals you use interact with one another uh, i posted a picture on instagram today of doing some maintenance on my laser and there was a question about the laser and rubber and another guy commented on different types of polycarbonates and that's absolutely true i mean so the vinyl that you're cutting in the cricket you cannot put that in a laser mm -hmm because it's, you know, it's a PVC vinyl and when heated up, you'll release a chlorine gas and you know you are because it's rusting every nut and bolt in that piece of equipment. So even when you think, well, I can get, get away with it one time, I can get away with, I can take this cheap PVC vinyl fake leather wallet and I can do one, that's not gonna be a big deal. I'm telling you that one time has just degraded your equipment substantially. Absolutely. And since you mentioned cricket, one thing I'll say, you know, sublimation is really big in the cricket world right now. Some people do get the new cricket mug press, but some people actually use a convection oven, like one that you can buy at Walmart or Sam's or somewhere like that. They'll use that to um, sublimate mugs and tumblers and stuff. And as you're cooking those for six minutes in a closed environment, when you open that door, the fumes that come from sublimation are something that you need to be aware of and that you might want to consider wearing a respirator for as well. So it's amazing how much the crafting side of making has really created a need for um, respiratory protection. So in the, in the safety pyramid, Dean, where does safety squints follow? Like, is that like- No, yeah, so there's a pyramid and then there's the basement under the pyramid where like the Pharaoh would be buried. That's where safety squints are. <laughs> okay. They're down there in the basement with Tutankhamun. A little outdated, I guess. Yeah, actually, I think Squints was Tutankhamun's cousin. And so it was actually Tutankhamun's in like the sub-basement. Squints was right there. 
and that's why you know safety squints is actually Tutankhamun's cousin. Yeah, they buried him right there with well because he was blind. Yeah, they buried him right next to fingers in the ear guy, <laughs> and uh, and pinch the nose guy, <laughs> or or my favorite, pull the t-shirt up over the face guy. Yeah, that one's yeah. hold your that breath guy. Really, that's me. Yeah, hold your breath guy's a good one too. Yeah, especially when blowing something up, <laughs> hold your breath. I always like that one. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a review and subscribe. If you'd like to reach out to us, or if you know of a maker with a fantastic project that deserves a deep dive, send us a message on Instagram at Making Our Way Podcast. You can find all of our latest individual content on Instagram and YouTube. Austin is at High Caliber Craftsman. Christy can be found at Twisted Twine Woodworking. And I'm at Dean underscore Duplantis. Thanks again, friends.